Season 6 of the CMO Suite is presented by Bid for Media. Bid for Media is the leader in providing biddable media solutions across all forms of media, including traditional, digital, social, experiential, and more. It's like eBay for media, with choices from radio and TV advertising to OTT, trade desk, display advertising, influencer marketing, and more. No sign-up fees, no boring training, no bullshit. Visit them at bidformedia.com. Season 6 of the CMO Suite is also sponsored in part by Uconnex. Uconnex provides managed services in the programmatic space for brands and agencies across the U.S. and internationally. It uniquely provides true transparency in the programmatic space by sharing how much of each campaign actually goes to publishers, platform, and how much is profit. If you are looking to better understand true working dollars or are just looking for an audit of your existing digital partnerships, visit them at uconnex.com. That's Y-O-U-C-O-N-N-E-X.com. And Winmo. Winmo is one of the leading sales prospecting tools that delivers the information you need to identify opportunities and close more deals with advertisers and agencies. Search brands, agencies, or contacts and leverage Winmo's smart filters to pare down thousands of prospects based on annual revenue, job title, locations, mobile occurrence, planning periods, and more. Visit them today at winmo.com. And finally, No Kid Hungry. With season six, we'll be completing our 100th episode of the CMO Suite, and we're proud to announce we'll be compiling highlights of our previous guests for a book called CMO Suites, Recipes for Success, with proceeds to benefit the No Kid Hungry organization. Help feed hungry kids by donating today at nokidhungry.org. And don't forget to visit Marketing Cast to catch any previous seasons you might have missed of the CMO Suite, or to check out other amazing podcasts in the industry. Once again, that's marketingcasts.com. Now, let's start the show. You're in the CMO Suite, the podcast for marketers who want to be in the know, presented by Connectivity Holdings. You are listening to Season 6 of the CMO Suite. This is Sean Halter. As always, the CMO Suite is presented in part by bid for media I'm super excited to have as our guest on the episode today, it's John Nielsen. John is the Chief Marketing Officer at Hunter Fan Company. John, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. It's uh, great to be here. So you said you're, you told me just before we started, you're working out of the house, as many of us are, uh, kind of during COVID. Is that in Nashville or where are you out of? Yeah, I'm living in, in Nashville. We've got offices in Nashville and Memphis, uh, both. And how long have you lived there in Nashville? I know, obviously, you've worked for the company for some time now, but how long have you lived in Nashville? Yeah, we moved here in, back here in uh, February. So I'd lived in Nashville for about 10 years. Uh, we moved to Memphis for a while and then uh, came back to, to Nashville in February. It's not as if you went too far. Not, you didn't, no, exactly. Just down the road. It's not like you went to Los Angeles and got all LA on everybody or anything else like that. But um, did you grow up there in, in Nashville or in Memphis, one of the two? No, I, I grew up uh, in uh, Southern California. I went to school at West Point, was in the Army for seven years, lived all over the place, and then been a bit of a corporate nomad since then. Wow. So talk about that. You grew up there. What did your mom and dad do? Uh, my dad was a uh, an engineer. He uh, worked for the Navy and uh, evaluated all their anything launched from an aircraft. And my mom was a, a preschool teacher. And so did his military background, was that something that kind of led you that direction, at least uh, initially, to kind of uh, join the military to some extent? Yeah, I guess. You know, it's something I, as long as I could remember it was something I wanted to do and uh, really enjoyed it. I had a great time with some great people, some really fun experiences. Did you travel overseas as part of the time that you were there before you became kind of this corporate nomad? Yeah, I was uh, I traveled to Korea, New Zealand, uh, Panama, Germany. Yeah, you know, it's not exactly luxury accommodations. <laughs> you see some interesting places for sure. I think you meet some interesting people. I think that's one of the things I've really learned about the show since we started it. As I mentioned, we're in season six. So we started this uh, almost four or five years ago now. Uh, 
as I've talked to either global CMOs or CMOs who spent some time, maybe a little more time overseas in some other areas, it does help you give just a little bit different perspective to your job, I think, to some extent, whether that's in understanding different languages or different cultures or just understanding different people or how they operate. In some ways, I think it also makes you hopefully kind of love what you do and where you live and, and, and gain a different level of appreciation that's hard to do if you just haven't you know really traveled that much in your life, maybe. Do you feel that way to some extent? Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think the, the, you know, the broader your experience space as, as a marketer, um, the, just the better. It helps you understand. You can look at the numbers and all those kind of good things, but you know, I had a ch- chance to work with a number of great people in the Army, for example, from all kinds of backgrounds. And um, it was an off experience and you got to know them a little bit better and, and you know what their lives were like, what their families were like and all that kind of good stuff. I saw that you spent a little time at Miller Brewing Company. It was one of my first <laughs> kind of major clients when I first got into the industry. I was in uh, radio sales and I got to work with uh, a handful of people at the distributor. It was called Shank at the time. It's gotten bought out you know, many years ago. But I still have some good friends from uh, Miller. Tim Carter was a good friend of mine. He was uh, based in Florida for a long time. I actually looked to see if you guys overlapped a little bit of time. But I really enjoyed working with Miller. I found that that whole experience to to just be again a nice collection of people who were really focused on kind of driving sales and driving that brand and building it up. And I think to some extent they did a pretty good job. How was your time there? It, it was a, a ton of fun. Again, I got a chance to work with some great people. It's a hospitality industry, so the people, whether it's the distributors. The people you work with at Miller, your customers, everybody's in that hospitality industry, very friendly. And I got to do some really good, go to a couple of Super Bowls, uh, attend a lot of NASCAR races, all kinds of fun stuff. So it was, it was, it was a ton of fun. How did you find that job or how did that job find you? Uh, at the time I was working with Kraft, which is a sister company, both owned by Philip Morris. And I was contract contacted by Miller for a, a field marketing role they had open. I was a brand manager at Kraft at the time. And it sounded kind of interesting, a little different place. It was in Charlotte, North Carolina. A chance to, to manage a, a full portfolio of brands, whereas, you know, as a brand manager, you focused on one brand. And that was really interesting to me for my career to kind of develop, get, get some field experience and... Uh, Again, it was it was a it was a ton of fun. You know, I think one of the things that I found most interesting about that space, again, I kind of came up through radio sales. That's where I really got introduced to Miller. But through the distributor, sometimes even when we weren't running radio or we weren't running media campaigns, I'd ride on the trucks. You know, you'd ride on the trucks, you'd get to meet the guys, you'd get a better feel for really what they're out there trying to sell. You know, it's easy to sell your own product, but I always feel like you when you have a knowledge of what somebody else is selling, you bring just a whole different level of, of appreciation. I, I loved riding on the trucks. We, we did get to do some fun stuff. We went to some Mardi Gras and some Super Bowls myself and some of that stuff. But I feel like when you're at that level, when you're down at the level of the guy in the truck trying to pull a new tap handle and kind of yank his buddy out who works you know, over at, uh, at Bud or somewhere else, there's a level of fun competition in that space, which I don't know if it still holds as true as much today, but it certainly did back then. Yeah, it was it was absolutely a competition and, and a lot of fun. And as you mentioned, the guys in the truck, they're working hard, right? Carrying in kegs and doing all that kind of good stuff. You know, if, if you don't understand that level of business as well, frankly, as, as the consumers as they're sitting in a bar, how they're making decisions, what's going on. And it, it's, it's really interesting to understand all of that and then try to make an impact on, you know, how they think about your brand and experience. And, you know, as we kind of come out of whatever this coming out of COVID is going to end up kind of looking like. I do think that's a, a nice takeaway for, again, whether you're the CMO from a big company or a small company or the VP of marketing, getting out into the field, 
again, can be so critical getting out of an office, figuring out what these, you know, whatever the industry is that you're in, if you're selling fans, whatever you're selling, getting out and actually being able to experience, you know, who, who's the person who's got to stock that on the shelf and, and how is what I'm doing impacting them? Because ultimately that buying decision is made right at that point of purchase, you know, and if you, if you can't get the product on the shelf or if you have a bad experience because of whatever it is, it doesn't matter how much money you pour into marketing, you know, those people, those boots on the ground are so, so, so critically important. Yeah. I, I'd agree. And I, we work, I've worked with a research company for a long time and they always give me a rough time because I won't miss a qualitative piece of research, right? Because it's one thing to hear people talk about it or, or to hear a report about it, but to, to feel the, the level of emotion, the, the intensity with which they feel something, it's, just, it's hard to put those things into words or numbers or whatever, but that, that intuitive understanding that you can build through, through that makes a significant difference, I think, in the quality of the work you can do. I get a little nervous that we're so focused on digital, we're so focused on spots and dots, we're f- so focused on attribution that we do miss that point. We miss the point of how does somebody really perceive our brand? Not that it's a nice, slick, beautiful photo or that we've done a really great shoot in somebody's house that has a really great you know, a, a piece of our product or our art, but... And what, what are the people who are the most important people? How do they really feel about us? And so it's great to hear that you you guys or or that you continue to either do some kind of brand perception studies or that just that, that does, that's an area you've had some passion for in the past. By the way, I, I love digital marketing. It's it has allowed us to really connect with consumers and do some great things. Yeah. But probably my biggest pet peeve is it's easy to lose the sight of your brand strategy. You do things for a purpose. Your brand stands for something. And how often I'll hear, well, we'll just A-B test, we'll just keep throwing stuff out, A-B test our way to success. No! I mean, it, it, that, that's a great tool, by the way, and it's awesome. We do it all the time. But just because it A-B tests itself, you may position yourself as a price brand where you want to be premium. You've got, you got to really think that through and how that's connecting. And, and that's often a bit of a lost art, I think, uh, these days. That, that brand strategy is so critical to what we do. Well, it absolutely is. Again, that's at least an area where somebody who's a veteran marketer, there's still a lot of value in those of us who've been around the business for a little time, as long as you can understand the vernacular of the, the kids these days and multi-level attribution and everything else, there's still something to be said for, you know, kind of looking your finger and kind of putting it up and testing the wind a little bit. That old art still works. Getting out in the market still works. And if you, if you just A-B test everything to death, you, you, you lose some reason for the fact that, you know, I drive a, a Jeep because I, I like the product, not because I need to get from point A to point B. I could do that a lot less expensively, you know? No, I, I agree with you hundred percent. It's, it, in fact, it's, it's funny. A couple of people I worked with, I was laughing like, man, you, you, you're just a brand guy. Like, yeah, I am a brand guy. I wear that mantle proudly. And that is, that is the reason this company exists as successful as it was because we have a very strong asset in our brand. Hunter, Hunter Fan Company would, would, would be nothing without having a, a strong brand like Hunter. To, the, the, obviously, the product has to back it up and all that kind of thing, but it's just critical to have that right. Well, and you cut your teeth in some ways at Bridgestone by being the VP of, of brand marketing. So again, that's, that's probably built into your DNA to some extent. How was your time there? I know you were there for a couple of years. What did you focus on while you were there? Uh, a couple of different things. Probably the uh, two that are, are, are were pretty exciting for me. One was uh, we launched a product called DriveGuard while I was there. I- I- interesting story in that it was a, uh, it's essentially a run flat tire that could fit on any sedan. Right. So if you're a soccer mom driving a Camry is a classic thing. You can now have a run flat tire and run flats were visually, even though they're, they're, they're great for letting you just kind of continue about your daily life. You don't have to stop and change a flat immediately. And there's a bunch of benefits to that. They were built for sports cars and you actually had to tune the sports car suspension to that tire. And then they got very expensive and people didn't like them. And so inside the company, they had a very negative feeling. Like people hate them. We don't want to launch them. It's like, 
guys, you've been selling to the wrong people. There's a, there's a whole group of folks out there, very busy daily lives. They're taking kids places. They're, they're going to work. They're going to school, all those kind of good things. And uh, so when we launched that, it, it immediately drove, you know, we got to, I think, 100 million sales in 18 months. So that was a ton of fun doing all the positioning work, the branding work, and getting that ready for launch. Uh, and then the Drive a Firestone campaign that we developed uh, for the Firestone brand was uh, was a ton of fun as well. And you really saw the numbers move. We, we kind of rebranded ourselves as a is a car brand. We're the car brand for, for people who have used cars. So whatever you drive, drive a Firestone. Because uh, there are a bunch of people, obviously, that have, have used cars. They, they take pride in it. They love, Everybody loves their car, whatever, whether it's new to you or new to the world, right? Uh, and being able to sort of take that brand and bring it. And, and you see people putting the stickers on their cars. It was just like, man, that really felt good to, to see that, that kind of thing happen. Yeah, again, you said a couple of things that I want to unpack there. One is just the, you talked about the run flat tire. And I always find that interesting sometimes when there's a product that's just sitting out there. It's probably been sitting in somebody's head forever. And then somebody finally does it and consumers are like, yeah, we've been... We've been waiting, you know, for this. Looking at a paint, I remember a few years ago there was a, a paint company. I don't remember which one. I probably should, especially as I'm making this point. But they finally put a handle on a on a paint can, you know, on one of those <laughs> jars, and you're like putting wheels on the bottom of, you know, on, on the bottom of of all of our suitcases. Like, how in the world did it take that long for somebody to realize? Hey, if I get a flat, I need to be able to make it somewhere so that I'm not having to call AAA every 25 minutes. So I was, I was find a, a joy in, in that kind of thing. And then you just talked about the sticker thing. Again, that kind of goes back to this, I don't want to say this old school mentality, but you know, there's a barber shop in my town here in St. Pete and he lives on stickers on the back of cars. Now it's a little less each, you know, each day and each month and each generation, but you still drive around, you see a bunch of trucks. I've got Tim's barbershop on the back and yeah. it's the best free advertising there is. A, a you know, a sticker on the back of a truck. I mean, you can't get more American than that for you know for a barbershop or, or, or for a tire company to some extent. Yeah, somebody feels part of something, right? When they're doing that, they're not they're not just doing it to, to help somebody advertise it's because they feel like they're part of a community and part of that, and they're, and they're happy to show that, which again helps build a brand and a business and does all the kind of things you want to do. That brand evangelist space to me still is pretty untapped sometimes by a lot of uh, more perhaps legacy brands trying to figure out how to you know how to kind of catch up with today's consumers. So you headed from there and then you've been at Hunter Fan uh, Company almost uh, ever since, it sounds like, uh, maybe with a, f- a couple of things in between, but you've been at Hunter for almost almost eight years now. Did that go fast? Did it go slow? <laughs> does, does it feel like you, you just got there and it's already been eight years? Yes, yeah, in a way it does. It's, it's been a ton of fun. I, mean, I love to build things, right? Brands and teams and people and you know, when I walked into Hunter, um, I had zero direct reports. I said, "Hey, John, we got we're trying to figure out this brand thing. You know, can you help us sort that out?" And you know, now we've got a, a marketing team of about thirty people, um, including a, industrial design and product management. Um, we're launching more products than our company ever has in its history. We just entered the lighting space um, and are doing a big product launch in that. And I mean, we've blown up every process, every you know, the whole. And it has been just it's been a dead sprint and a ton of fun at the same time. What have you enjoyed about that the most? What's the part where you were like, I don't know anything about what the heck I'm getting ready to do, but but here I go. I, I love to I love to learn new things. Like if, if the 10th time I do something, it's like, yeah, okay, I got it now. I've, I kind of know how to go do that. But tr- trying to figure something out and taking a blank piece of paper and say, there's nothing here. Like, how do you enter the lighting business? There's nothing here. What do you go do? Like, well, look, you do it like this. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, okay. Well, go give it a shot. Yeah, here it is, right? And here's... You know, now, now you start to see millions of dollars in revenue and, and turn it into a real business. It's, 
I mean, that's just, that's just exciting. And I mean, we, we really shifted our, our core fan business. We, we, our big box customers are great customers and they're really important to us. But there's another area, of, particularly through e-commerce, where we can connect with the consumer even more directly. And we had, we had to develop a new product line for that. And we called it our core product line that had a breadth and depth to it. Um, and being able to, to knock out hundreds of SKUs a year to try to get to that and seeing the response in the marketplace was just Phenomenal. And we've 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 grown our share and, and the whole shift to e-commerce going on. We've been a great part of that. Fortunately, we've done a lot of work prior to COVID, so that we were able to, to ride those tails a little bit as everybody was was shopping at home, and and um, that helped that out a little bit. But you know, it's time after time having a blank piece of paper. Okay, we're gonna go do this. One of my product managers said, "You know, when you say we're gonna go after e-commerce, go to this." Goes, "I thought you were." There's no way. It's too small a piece of our bit. What's? It? He goes, "Oh my God, it's there. It's almost half our revenue now. It's unbelievable." And I just, you know. It's just fun to make that kind of stuff happen. It's happened fast, too. I mean, that whole thing has happened fast. We, we've we got a handful of some CPG clients, consumer packaged goods clients, and, and uh, we're heading out to a convention for them in Vegas next week called Gro- Grocery Shop. And it's amazing how quick that need to go directly to a consumer and touch them is transforming that whole industry because there's a lot of people that don't go into a grocery store anymore. So how in the world the shelf space, whether you're top shelf or bottom shelf, it, it's completely irrelevant now and even more rapidly happening. And so what do you do when that's when that's been, you know, you've done a handful of circulars and you've done a, you know, make sure that you're on an end cap here and there. How do you completely change your business in some ways overnight? You know, you guys have done the same thing. It sounds like to some extent when it comes to kind of talking to consumers directly while still, again, allowing your other parts of your core business to to do the things that they need to do. Has blockchain impacted what you guys are doing uh, at all? Has any of COVID and some of the issues that I know other manufacturers are kind of running running into with that, has that impacted your marketing at all yet to this to this point? Or have you guys been able to kind of navigate that? Yeah, not, blockchain hasn't been an issue at all um, for us so far. Um, so some of the logistics issues have been challenges. We've been able to, to work our way through them pretty well. We've got a great team and uh, some great support in our, in our in our plant, all that kind of good stuff. So, so we've been able to, to work through that pretty well to date. But it's been a continuous, you know, from you know, initially everybody kind of held back, like, oh my God, nothing's going to happen. And then of course consumers were doing home stuff and the surge, you know, just hit. And when people were backing off, we were ordering an inventory saying, you know, we we were ready. So, so we lived through that. And then the beginning of this year, everybody's building up inventory because they didn't want it to happen again. And then, you know, that's creating backlogs all over the place, right? I mean, heck the the Pacific Ocean off Long Beach looks like a parking lot. <laughs> that's crazy. So that's that that's been kind of crazy trying to work our way through that. But you know, so far so good. Have you guys dipped into the? Um, this is a, a question that may be out of left field. You just were talking about kind of the areas that you guys are really expanding into. Again, thinking outside of the big box partners that you have and online. I don't recall this, but I know that. Um, my sister's an interior designer. She starts with lighting and fans. That's like when she goes in, that's the first thing she does, which a lot of consumers don't really think about. They think of the furniture and everything first. That's Have right. you guys done any partnerships with any of the big furniture groups? Have you guys looked to expand into some of those showrooms at all since... That is such an important part of what a consumer is doing, or have you been doing that forever? And I'm just thinking off the top of my head. You know, it's 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 interesting. It's an interesting space. We have done in the last few years a, a partnership with Nebraska Furniture Mart that has uh, they have very very large stores. They sell appliances as well, so it's kind of a it's it's a really unique place. Uh, quite, it's very interesting to see. They've opened a big showroom in Dallas. We've been a part of that, right? Part of our pitch was, hey, you could take this ceiling, which is doing nothing for you. 
turn it into cash, right? And, and, and uh, make some nice margin and do that. And they've, they've really partnered with us and, you know, that that's, it's worked out pretty well so far. It's uh, they're, they're a little bit unique because their volume is so high that it makes a lot of sense. I'm not sure how a, you know, a typical local furniture store might, might play out. Just interesting to think of. And do you guys ever do, do you do Furniture Mart? Do you guys do any of the shows that are up in uh, High Point, North Carolina or any of that? Or again, is that just been an area that, that you guys have not needed to expand into uh, as much? Yeah, we, we've gone there to look at trends. I laugh. I tell my uh, director of, of industrial design and he and I got kicked out of more uh, showrooms than that place. <laughs> I ever get kicked out of my life. Better than so, but uh, yeah, sometimes <laughs> just look at trends and, and see what's going on. Those aren't necessarily our end customers that we're selling to yet. So we didn't necessarily play it out from, from that standpoint. We, we tend to display a lighting show in Dallas for both lighting and ceiling fans. A number of our independent showroom customers go there and some some larger customers as well. Um, Amazon uh, occasionally and so our big box customers. And so you're talking about trends. And so again, that's kind of interesting. A ceiling fan, again, could just be something simple as it often had been in the past. And now it can really set the room off. Again, I know, um, uh, you know, I've got a huge fan in in, uh, in in the place that I live in, and it's it's a showpiece. Like people walk in and they're like, "Wow," you know. So it really can set that mood and set that trend, and it's changed uh, you know a lot dramatically. How do you guys tell that story moving forward? Again, as consumers care more and more about content and less and less about being sold to, how do you how have you woven the use of content into your overall marketing strategy? Yeah, a ton, man. It's been a it's been an interesting transition, and we've. You know, gone from let's put a couple of bullet points in to you know, uh, uh, you know the, the image carousel looks like a movie now, right? It's, it's unbelievable. But you know, the first thing we had to do is change our mindset because we were thinking of a ceiling fan as an appliance, right? Here it is, and that that's, that was kind of like the the old hunter. You have to think about it as a piece of furniture. It does ha- it does have a function, absolutely, and it, it has to work. And uh, we've got some technology that's second to none with you know our sure speed and other kinds of things. But it it's also has to look right. And again, depending on it, that look right means could mean a bunch of different things to a bunch of different people. So we have to have a nice portfolio to be able to go do that. You know, we tell a story from everything from being able to see our product in a, uh, in a room setting, right? So you can get the, the kind of feel for what that looks like, being able to see it close up, talk about what kind of design is it, right? Is, is this you know modern farmhouse? A lot of people like to shop by design, so we want to be able to talk about it that way, understand what they mean when they say that. So we're showing them the, the right set of fans for them, which is kind of interesting. A, a bunch more video, a lot of it explaining. We might have our director of design explaining, hey, look, here's the inspiration for this, et cetera, et cetera. We might be illustrating a technology Technology, uh, whatever again, whatever whatever the case may be, and then we're we're currently testing some augmented reality to do you know one of two things, depending on 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 what you want to do as a consumer, see it in 3D and spin it around, turn it sideways, turn the lights on and off, all have the blade spin, um, or see it in your room, right? Uh, use, using a, a phone to to put it on your on your ceiling and see it in place. There there. Are, it's been a ton of, we've been working on that on and off for a long time, but a bunch of technical challenges and, and it's getting closer to reality. Uh, we currently have that in A-B test and we'll see how it plays out. But, you know, ultimately that's, it's even better than an in-store experience because you can see that fan in your space, right? In with the colors, 
with the light, with the, you know, your furniture and all that kind of good stuff. I remember, I'm old enough to remember back in the day when you'd take, you know, a pen and some paper and you'd start trying to cut little shapes out. You'd drop them. I think the sofa's going to look, you know, around like this maybe, or you'd, <laughs> yeah. you'd take some cardboard and kind of cut that out. But that whole augmented reality experience is, is absolutely amazing. Again, we've got some clients in the furniture space and so we've been around it and looking at different products that are out there. I've got a buddy who kind of runs Matterport, which is another one of those groups that works a lot with realtors so that you can kind of, again, see yeah a really good experience and all that technology again just came even faster and faster as COVID came as we've changed how we consume things even as we come out of this as consumers are like yeah I don't know I'd rather just kind of see it this way rather than having to get up go to the store look at a bunch of stuff see whether I like it not sure if I do it's it's amazing how quick that's happened amazing really when you think yeah. about it. I mean the trend was I'll tell you in our business the trend was already there you'd see about a two-point shift to e-commerce one and a half to two point a year over year over year. And then boom, COVID hit and you got like five years worth of gain in one year. And then that's, it's hanging on. It's not going away, right? It's continuing now. It's, you know, it's going back to more to one, two point shift uh, uh, annually, but man, it was a five point change in 12 months. And I think to your point that it's going to stay. I do think that the content area will be an interesting place to see where, again, how brands are now who are talking to consumers directly continue to kind of evolve and tell their story. And again, it sounds like you guys are kind of heading in that direction. Let's talk about what you what you wish you knew more about. You know, again, you're a veteran in this uh, in this space. You, you work with a brand that's that's very forward thinking at this point, a legacy industry to some extent. And you guys are certainly a leader in kind of making that shift. What do you wish you knew more about? You've got a team of 30. What What's next for you to kind of like, how, how does this work? Fair question. You know, one of the one of the real challenges of you know, you mentioned about CPG earlier, right? And I worked at Kraft and, and Miller, both both of those those kind of businesses where people would buy you multiple times a year. Again, depending on it could be weekly and it could be quarterly, whatever, right? With, with a ceiling fan, it's a different animal, and, and so you know, typically a ceiling fan will last a little over ten years, unless you want to update a room or, or decorate. So somebody, you get a transaction with somebody, right? Because everybody's like. You know, well, get your clients and you're going to resell them. And it's like, well, okay, I just sold a ceiling fan. How, how hard do I want to work for 10 years to sell the next one, right? But is there another way to think about that, right? So if, instead of thinking about um, that particular transaction, if I think about your home and now we're offering lighting, right? You, you've probably got 10 different rooms in that home between your garage, your outdoor space, your bathrooms, uh, living room, family room, bonus room, whatever it may be, right? And if you think about that more holistically, I may be able to have a better relationship with you now because I can, I can talk to you about all kinds of, you're, you're doing your bedroom. Great. Here's a nice quiet fan. Keep you cool. You sleep better at night, et cetera. So, oh, you want a chandelier to highlight your foyer? Yep. Look, we can help you out with that. But, oh, by the way, those finishes are going to match because you have an open house concept now and you can see both of them. You can coordinate them. You know, maybe you don't want to be matchy matchy, but on the work that we can help you out with that. And so, that's the part we're trying to figure out. How do you, so that that relationship has more value, therefore we can invest in it more, right? And really uh, build that post-purchase uh, um, relationship and experience. It's a bigger tent, you know? And so you can- Yeah, exactly right. To talk more, but at the same time, because Hunter has done a very good job of building the brand wrapped around quality, right? And so you at least- Exactly know, right. Okay, ceiling fans are not inexpensive. I could buy something a lot cheaper for- $42, but it's going to look like it's a $42 fan. And is that really what I want to put in this house that I've just overpaid for by a couple of hundred thousand dollars in <laughs> today's market? Exactly. I, I don't know any anywhere in the country that you can go, oh, I can get a good deal for the, you know, for the dollar. I mean, Nashville, Knoxville, any, all of them, all, all of them are 
it's interesting to see how quickly that's kind of happening and taking shape. But again, as you were saying, you know, hunters build that reputation already with those consumers. And so being able to kind of open that tent up probably could and sounds like it will give you guys, in fact, a chance to be able to say, well, what else? You know, how can we take this relationship that you guys trust in us? that you're going to have something that can last 10 years and how can we expand that into some other areas? And so is that is that really where your focus will be for the next three, four, five years, you think, really kind of expanding that lighting line? Uh, yeah, I think that, yes, yeah, so that'll take us a, a, a few years. We've got a, other innovations on the horizon, all those kind of things that, we're, we're, you know, that you're always working on. That'll probably take us, uh, you know, a couple, couple three years to get it, get it to scale. But then at the same time, thinking about that relationship, right? Because it's not just having to sell you a bunch of stuff. In fact, we've invested, we invested this year in, uh, we have a live designer that you can chat with. You want some help? Like, well, I, I just don't know how to pay. I, 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 you know, whatever. Good. All right. Let's talk through what your furniture looks like. What kind of floor you have? What do your walls look like? Oh, okay, good. Here's a couple options that we think might, might fit well. And you could do that with a real human being. It's, again, trying to build that relationship uh, uh, with folks so that we can we can build it and then, and then maintain it over time. John Nielsen, Chief Marketing Officer at Hunter Fan Company. Uh, we want to thank you, first of all, for joining us on the show. I've got one final question for you. You've spent, again, some longevity in this space. Have you had any mentors along the way or uh, people along the way that you feel like, gosh, this is just somebody that whenever I'm kind of stumped or somebody who's kind of helped you to, to kind of keep your focus along the way, anybody that, that you can think of? Yeah, I've got a, I have a handful of folks that I, I reach out to when I'm wrestling with an issue. Stephanie Husk with Deep Blue Insight, she does a lot of our research for us and very, very good strategic thinker. When I'm wrestling with an issue often and, and, and she'll often be like, you know, I'm sure you're thinking about this, right? She's not afraid to call me on it, which I greatly appreciate. You know, I was, I was really fortunate to work for some great people over time. You know, my first brand man manager uh, when I was at Kraft was Steve Davis and the way he thought about things and the way he he would frame issues. I'm a captain. I just commanded an artillery battery and now I'm a brand assistant, right? What do I know? I never had a business course in my life. So, okay. Hi, how can I help you out? Right? Here we go. Um, it, it was interesting. Steve was great. I learned a ton from him. And a lot of the times the way he think, he thought about things, because he was a very intuitive thinker, but at the same time, he brought the quantitative side. That's the way my brain works as well. Because you can't just go like, no, I just think it's going to work like this. Let's go do it. Like, no, 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 John, can you, can you prove it to us? Like, okay. But, but that, that thought process was was great. I had a really great uh, uh, boss. My first boss at, um, at Miller uh, was Bill Dreger. And just as a, as a, as a leader and a, a guy who inspired people, and I, he, he never once told me what to do. Never. But he'd come in and ask me, ask me a question. Walk around, I was like, you know, John, I was thinking, what's happening with this? And then, like, okay, he'd walk out, I'm like, crap, okay. I'd gear up, right? We'd pull in different people like this and go, and, you know, that would change into a program or whatever it was. And it just, he, he knew how to get the most out of me. And uh, I'm not sure I ever worked so hard in my life, but it was a ton of fun. And just because he knew how to put the right challenge out. Well, and so again, as we put a button on this episode, that's something worth kind of reflecting a little bit, John, which is the fact that not only did people who probably didn't realize how much impact they had on you, I mean, you're talking about a manager that you had many, many, many years ago who made that much of an impact simply by allowing you to be you, by allowing you to be able to do and and tap into what was most exciting to you. And therefore you worked harder than ever because while it was work, it was something that you had a passion for. With COVID up there and with it harder and harder to kind of you know meet your teams and see your teams, again, as marketers, I think it's something worth reflecting on yourself. Not only remembering back to some mentors who helped guide you, but then using that as inspiration for the teams that are underneath you to try to ensure that you're 
you're doing the same to the best of your ability, even when you're having a rough day, even when you've got a CEO who's maybe not happy with this <laughs> quarterly report or tells you to take this million dollar marketing budget and, and let's just not spend it. Remember how much impact you as an individual person are having on those that work underneath you. And hopefully someday, whoever picks up this show from me will be having the same kinds of conversations and be thinking of, of all of you. So there goes my dog. That must be my time. You so, I tell you, Sean, I found that people will surprise you every time. I mean, and, and just over deliver on your expectations when you, when you um, give them a nice challenge. Um, it's, it, it's fun to watch. Yeah. Again, I think if nothing else, some of that is maybe what will come out of COVID is just finding some new ways to be able to inspire those around us when they're just simply not around us as much. John Nielsen, Chief Marketing Officer at a Hunter Fan uh, Company. Thank you so much for making time for us as we kick off season six of the CMO Suite. Thanks for hanging out in the CMO Suite. The podcast for marketers who want to be in the know. Presented by Connectivity Holdings. You're a C-level manager. You shouldn't have to know the difference between behavioral or contextual targeting. But your agency should. UConnex provides brands and biddable teams direct access to platforms like the Trade Desk, Google, Amazon, Facebook, OTT, and more. Their U.S.-based traders can train your in-house team or provide complete transparency with no minimums and CPM-based service pricing for true transparency, something Mighty Hive, the Trade Desk, and Centro simply don't offer. Tired of being the smartest one in the room? Reach out to UConnex today for a free demo. UConnex, the world's leader in true transparent biddable media. Season 6 of the CMO Suite is presented by Bid for Media. Bid for Media is the leader in providing biddable media solutions across all forms of media, including traditional, digital, social, experiential, and more. It's like eBay for media. Choices from radio and TV advertising to OTT, trade desk, display advertising, influencer marketing, and more. No sign-up fees, no boring training, no bullshit. Visit them at bidformedia.com. And Winmo. Winmo is one of the leading sales prospecting tools that delivers the information you need to identify opportunities and close more deals with advertisers and agencies. Search brands, agencies, or contacts and leverage Winmo's smart filters to pare down thousands of prospects based on annual revenue, job title, locations, mobile occurrence, planning periods, and more. Visit them today at winmo.com. And finally, No Kid Hungry. With season six, we'll be completing our 100th episode of the CMO Suite and we're proud to announce we'll be compiling highlights of our previous guests for a book called CMO Sweets, Recipes for Success, with proceeds to benefit the No Kid Hungry organization. Help feed hungry kids by donating today at nokidhungry.org.